That was great worship. Thank you. Thank you for leading that. I was, I was definitely worshiping. <laughs> I think my eyes were closed the entire time, just uh, giving up all my anxiety and casting it over to the Lord and also worshiping and just giving. Everything that we're about to talk about today was like pierced down in each of those songs. So uh, I get the, obviously, uh, Matt is out of town. Matt and Jessica went on vacation. They are somewhere in Montana. I don't really know their whereabouts. Uh, um, and so I asked him, I know I was on this, I was scheduled to preach today, and I asked him, all right, you're in between series, what, you know, do you have any kind of framework for, for me to go? He's like, no, go wherever you want. I was like, what? Like, I have not done this long enough to just be, just come in and just pull something out of my back pocket. Like, I did not know where to go. I was like, come on, you got to give me something. He's like, all right, well, here's this. We're going into the book of James when I get back. If you want, you can give the introduction to James. He's going to be in James for about six weeks. I was like, I'll pray about that. Let me read through it. And te- This is not an easy book to go through. So that, now I was like, he gave me framework, what I asked for, and this is what he gave me. And it was not easy. So I read through it, prayed, prayed through this, and I'm excited and honored to uh, introduce James to you. Um, James is not, I, I went into his office after I read this first chunk. I'm going, if you're in your Bibles, I'm going in James um, chapter 1, verse 1 through 12. And so I read this, I went into his office, I was like, how do you preach James? Like, James preaches himself. Like, I'm just going to read these verses and that's it. And then we can just discuss and talk about it. I don't know. This is going to be a 15-minute sermon if I'm just reading James and trying to preach something. And so he kind of coached me through the difference between preaching and teaching, which I knew, but I kind of, he worded it in a great way to, that made it clear for me. And so uh, preaching, I, we take this text and we're going to get a co- one cohesive thought out of this text. Um, teaching would, us, would be us going verse by verse through this text. But what I'm going to do, um, kind of classic old school, I grew up seeing this type of teaching. I'm just going to read the, I'm just going to read the scripture, open us up in prayer, and then we're going to dive in to see what it says. So if you would read with me, James chapter one, verses one, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even when he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because he because when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him um, let me pray oh god thank you for this morning thank you for the worship by song thank you for joining us together in one voice to sing out cries to you and praises to you god um, thank you for your text 
thank you for the simplicity and the challenge that you've given us in the book of James. Um, Thank you for giving me an opportunity to present James to a church body. God, I ask that you strip me away and only speak speak what you want to be spoken um, today in this room. I pray that your spirit may allow this word to pierce the hearts and minds of every individual in this room um, in the way that they need it, in a way that you are trying to grow and develop them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so to dive right in, I just want to, we don't want to go, since this is a book study and he's going all the way through the book of James in this series, we can't just dive right in. We kind of got to give you a, you got to have a, some context of who this is. So it's always good, no matter what book of the Bible that you read, you need to know the author of that book if it's provided, um, and you need to know the audience and the, ori- the original audience that the author um, wrote this book to. And so this was a letter um, written by James. So we have, it's very, oh, I almost got lost in a rabbit trail trying to all the different verses in scripture of James. So we have two disciples of the 12 that are named James. This is not either one of those. This is James, um, Jesus's brother. Um, You can find that in scripture. Um, This James, he was Jewish. And so that that kind of gives us a big take of what this letter is. So he grew up under the law of Moses. He knew the law. And so this next point of um, he, whenever you read through Scripture, it says James, the brother of Jesus, did not believe Jesus was the Messiah when he began his ministry. And so that's really rooted in his Jewish heritage. Um, he thought his brother was a madman, told people that he was insane. Um, so if you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we get a picture of James actually you can see when he was likely converted to Christianity. It was when after Jesus came, died, and resurrected and started revealing himself um, to the crowds and to the apostles, to the disciples. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says he revealed himself to James very specifically. So it's very likely that this was the time that James realized, oh man, my brother he knew it. <laughs> he, he, he was correct. I should have believed in him. But um, it goes on. You read through the book of Acts. Um, James becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. So from someone who did not believe in the Messiah is now the leader of the church in Jerusalem, the first church of Jerusalem. Um, straight out of the gates in verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He did not take this time to boast about his kinship like many of us would. How many of you... I can, I've done this a lot. If you know somebody or related to somebody, if it benefits you in some type of way, you're going to, without a doubt, name drop that person, right? Many of you are probably in positions that you're in with your businesses or your life or your work or your jobs or your friends because, oh, I knew this person or I was related to this person, right? James did not boast about his worldly kinship of Jesus. Instead, he boasted that he was a servant of God and a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we should do. We should boast in that. Um, So that's a little bit of backstory of James. So you know a little bit about the author. And now look at the audience, the original audience. He says, this letter is to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. This can be translated over, and some translations say, the 12 tribes of dispersion. This comes from Acts chapter 8. So whenever the Holy Spirit was given and then the churches started growing in the book of Acts like like wildfire, thousands and thousands were coming to Christ daily. Um, And then the fierce persecution happened and it caused the dispersion. So this is is where you get the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Um, 
Just a second. Lost my spot. This happens a lot. If you're in there on Wednesday nights, my students know this is, this is very common. It just give me a minute. I'll get back in. I'll get back with you. All right. <laughs> All right. So the difference, one of the cool things is, um, unlike Paul's letters, so if you're familiar with most of Paul's letters, um, most of his letters are written to a mixed congregation of Jewish and Gentile churches. Um, with one, he's written most of his letters to very specific people or very specific churches covering some stuff that they're going. This is not what James has done here. He's wrote this letter to a broad, just anyone who was in the church that was scattered. So this is not one specific person, one specific church. This is all Christians and I read um, that likely because of his Jewish heritage, this was primarily written to those Jewish converts that, came, that grew up under the Jewish teaching and then converted over to Christianity. And so this is likely the group of people that he wrote this letter to. And so moving on, um, a little bit about the people. So James wrote this letter to the very broad group of individuals struggling to keep their faith in new difficult times. Um, this audience has fled from very intense persecution happening to Christ followers, um, often resulting in imprisonment, imprisonment and death. Um, so the trials, when you read in verse 2, consider, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. These trials hit this audience in a very deep way. They're going through some trials, real hard, life-challenging things. And so Whenever he says consider it pure joy, it was not an easy task, and we'll see that a little bit more here later. Um, though it's likely we're not facing those same types of trials, um, that doesn't mean we're not going through trials in our life. Um, and let's, that leads us to my main point. So how this is kind of laid out, you'll see a little bit about how my mind works. Uh, I've told you a little bit how I see numbers and equations. I was not good in math, but some reason, something in me, I see equations pretty easily. And so um, this is a little silly. I'm going to get my humor out of the way on my very first main point. And so often, um, side note, a lot of us, if you're like me, um, we use humor to kind of cover up and mask our insecurities, and so that's what I'm doing here. I'm going to do this in the front end of this sermon, and so that way we can get serious and maybe we can, uh, you can see the real heart uh, behind this text. Um, so my very first slide here, um, A plus B equals C. Any math folks here in the room? Did y'all get that? Yeah? Yeah. All right. That's not just the main point. All right. So kind of think that same thought. Um, but like, so A meaning trials plus perseverance equals holiness. See, you know, that's, I learned something. I don't remember my pre-algebra teacher, but she would be proud. Um, <laughs> if you're in this room, I'm sorry. I don't remember you in this moment. Um, so my main point, so what I'm going to do is just break this down. So main point, trials plus perseverance equals holiness. And I'm going to go step by step. We're going to talk about the trials, what perseverance, and then the end goal of holiness and see what the text says about each one of these. And so to kick it off, go right into trials and see what the text says about trials. So look back in verses 2 through 3. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. So it's, it's pretty clear in my mind that um, these trials have a purpose. Um, if you're taking notes, these trials will always have a purpose. Um, so you probably all have heard this. This isn't new information, but if this is new for you, if anyone knows how like silver, her, I've heard, seen this illustration many different times and whenever we read in scripture about refining, um, when God refines us or tests us or tries us, um, we give an image of 
a silversmith that's going out and making pure silver. And so he takes this chunk of metal, he puts it in the fire and melts it down to pure liquid, it's liquid. And so all the, any impurities in that metal start to float to the surface. And so that silversmith will then kind of take a sift, get all the impurities off the surface, and then let it cool, put it back in the fire, test it again, test it again, impurities float to the surface, get all the impurities out. Eventually, he tests over and over and over, and eventually he will look down and there will be no more impurities. And so whenever a silver is considered pure, it's when that silversmith can look down at it and see his own, his or her own reflection. And so that's the type of testing that we see here um, that James is describing. So the same type of testing, God putting us through test to refine us, to get all any impurities out of our life until the end goal is to see his reflection in our life. And so don't get this confused. Um, if you look down a little further, I'm stopped at verse 12, but verse 13 and 14 really talk about temptation. And so it's very hard for me as an individual, I'm sure many of you are in the same boat, to determine like, if I'm in a trial from God to produce holiness in me or if I'm being tempted by my enemy or tempted by my own wicked desire. And so if I'm hitting a bump in my road um, on my walk with Christ and something doesn't go easy or smoothly, um, how do I decipher if this is a test from God or and the enemy trying to distract me or me just not seeing clearly? Like, what is the difference? Um, so we're not going to talk a lot about temptations. We're going to talk more about trials and try to break this down, what this truly means, what James is trying to get with us. So I believe this is why James gives so much attention to the word wisdom in verse 5 when he says, if any, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and then goes into kind of how we ask God for things. Um, but why specifically wisdom, I think, um, it takes a tremendous amount of God-given wisdom to discern if we are in a test from God or being tempted. Um, God has your best interest in mind. He has our best interest in mind, and that's to make us more like him. So God does not tempt us with sin in order to achieve that in us. In addition, these trials, this is big, this is huge, this is something that I, I, it came to my mind. I wrote it down, I read it, I was like, oh, this is challenging for my own life. Um, it's challenging, I think, to anyone that hears this. These trials that James speak of here will never be the result from sin in your life. That's, that's different. That's a whole different topic. Um, if you're actively or recently participated in something the Bible identifies as sin, and then you are, because of that sin, you're going through some intense trials in your life, you cannot call that a test from God. That is called a consequence of your sin, and you must repent before you can casually walk back into the presence of God. Do you see the difference between the two? The trial is something that God's using to produce something good in us, but when we face these hardships in our life due to some sin in our life, that's different. That's not the trials that James is talking about here that we should consider pure joy. I just wanted to call out the difference between those two. To get back on track, um, to jump back into our equation, I'm kind of wrapping up the trials, if y'all are clear. Hopefully that was clear for everyone. We're going to look. It would be so much easier for this, if this equation read A equals 
see. Like trials, because we go through these trials, God gives us holiness, right? That would be so easy. Like, not that the trials would be easy themselves, but just because we're going through a trial, God gave us holiness. No, we, that's not the equation. That's not what James says. Um, I'm going to reread verse 4. So right after it says in verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I'm reading from the NIV version. The ES, if you have an ESV or something other, you should, you're probably reading it. It reads like this, and let steadfastness have its full effect. So instead of that word perseverance, it uses steadfastness. Um, this steadfastness is an unwavering endurance. It's remaining, it's you as a believer remaining completely loyal to your faith, even in the hardest of trials. Remember the original audience that this letter was written to. They were facing extreme persecution. They were misplaced. They were finding new homes, new lives, doing everything they could to keep their families safe and alive. This takes a very active perseverance to continue one's faith. I've said, <laughs> I think I joked with my mother when I was younger, I just got to have, you just got to have faith. What are you going to do next? You just quit your job and you don't have anything else lined up in the, lined up after this job? What are you doing? You just got to have faith. I'm just kind of patiently waiting until something falls in my lap. <laughs> the look, I can, that look she scolded on, like it pierced my mind forever. Um, <laughs> but the point is, like, this is not a time to, this perseverance, this steadfastness isn't something that we should just be lazy and we recognize, okay, God's trying to work something out in me. He's kind of producing something here. I'm just going to sit casually by and do nothing with it. It takes activeness. Um, there's no laziness. This is no time to practice idleness it, or even um, the opposite of that, like something whenever we hit these trials in our lives, if something go, doesn't go as planned, what do we often do? We get bitter with God. If it's heavy enough, why, God? Why are we going through this? Why is my family going through this? Why did, this, why did you do this? Why did you take this life? Why did you give us this sickness? Why did you take all of this away from me? And we turn bitter towards God. That's not what James says to do when we face these trials. Here in verse 2, it comes, it comes back full circle to count it all joy. Count it all joy. My version says, consider it pure joy. ESV says, count it all joy. I'm going to talk about this joy. You talk, you listen how the Holy Spirit works. <laughs> you just read that excerpt from, Jan, from John 15. Me and TJ rarely, we hardly talked all week long. He didn't know where I was going. I have John 15 in my notes already. I'm talking of describing this joy. Look, there is no trial too small or too big that is excluded from this conversation. Whether you have a flat on the way to work that kind of wrecks your whole entire day, or you have somebody in your family that comes down with a, a deadly illness that doesn't have a cure. Like, these tri there's no trial too big or too small that is, that is excluded from this conversation from James. Yet no matter the size or the strength of the trial, we are to count it all joy. I got joy on the screen, a couple different meanings of joy. Joy could be gladness, um, cheerfulness, calm, delight. I love that one. That one's not, when's the last time you went through something hard in your life and you just sat back and had calm delight? Like, 
you're at the lake on the like on the party bar or whatever, and you're just looking over the sunset and, and you know that type of calm delight. Everything's good. Like, have you had that same type of feeling whenever you're experiencing a trial in your life? No, that's madness. That's insane. And I believe that's what sets us apart as believers from the rest of this world. Like whenever we go through these trials, the rest of the world goes through and we're happy and joyful about it on the backside of it. That's, stand, that's what screams, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I have faith in a holy God that's producing something greater in me. Um, so this same joy is that the one that TJ already read for me that Jesus speaks in chapter, or John chapter 15, where he says, you abide in me and I will abide in you. No branch can bear fruit unless you abide in me. And later on, I have told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Remember, joy is the second fruit of the Holy of the. Oh, my goodness, I messed that up. Joy is the second fruit of the Spirit coming right behind love. So when you read of the fruit of the Spirit, joy is one of them. So if you don't have any joy in your life, if we're not abiding in Jesus, we can't bear this joy that comes from the Spirit. And so we don't have joy, period, pure joy coming from God. In any circumstance, even in the good things, we don't have a pure God-giving joy. So how could then we even pretend to have a joy within a trial period of our life? So when we joyfully, to wrap that up, when we joyfully persevere through whatever test may be, it brings us to holiness. And we'll see what that says. So back in verse 4, see how that I read this and I literally told Matt, I was like, I see, a, I see an equation. You give... You do this plus this, and you're given this. And that's how simple it is, and that's how it was very challenging. How do I preach this without just reading it for it? And let's, hey, this is what the text says. All right, y'all have a good day. <laughs> and so we're going to break this word down. So I'm going to read verse 4 one more time. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Be mature and complete. So look at the couple different words for complete here. Um, think whole, entire, without blemish or defect, perfect, lacking nothing, and pure. Like these are all can be given as attributes of holiness. When you think of God, he's pure, he's holy, he's without defect. He's, he's whole, he's complete, he's lacking nothing. And he says we get this if we persevere through the trials that he gives us. We could go on an entire series. This is a plug. If Matt, if you're out there watching, um, you probably will watch this. Maybe we should go through a whole series on holiness because you cannot pack everything there is to be, all the topics on holiness within one sermon. Um, so I'm going to keep this pretty brief. And so I'm going to move past holiness. Of course, this will not be. So this equation, this is the hook. So this is big. If I can, hold on, let me gather it. Y'all still there? Y'all take a minute. Y'all can recoup your minds while I recoup mine. Take a breath. Yeah, very good. Ah, <laughs> oh, man, so this equation, it would be so easy if this was just a one and done type of thing. So we go through a fierce trial. All right, we recognize it. God's given us the wisdom to recognize, okay, I'm in this trial period in my life, and you're about to produce something good. This is not easy, God, but I'm relying, and I'm trusting you, and I'm going to not unwaver my faith towards you during this trial, and you are now given holiness, and you're made whole and complete. Wouldn't that be perfect if this happened like when you're like 10 years old 
and like, that was it. You're just holy for the rest of your life. That's not how this works. This is an ongoing equation. This is an ongoing testing throughout the entire life of a believer from the time that you are saved until the time the Lord calls you home. You are always working to get holy. Now, you're, he takes out a blemish. He takes out a defection in us. He, if I'm not patient and then he sends me through a fierce trial and now produces patience in me and I'm rock solid, I'm, very, I'm the most patient person in the world. Guess what? I'm going to be lacking something else. And then God, whenever God's ready in his timing, he's going to give me a test and work that out of me. It's, this doesn't stop until we die um, or Jesus comes back. This is the process of sanctification. We're always forever going, being made closer to the image of God. All right. I'm, gonna, I'm flying through this. I told you. TJ's going to have to do his worship set at the end of the service. Are y'all cool with that? You cool with that? Choir, orchestra? All right. All right. I'm going to go um, look to conclude this, this thought of trial um, plus perseverance equals holiness. Look at the catch over in verse 12. I'm going to reread it. Blessed is the man or the one. Some text says blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. As we get ready to close this thought out, I want to leave you with this. Um, What God wants for you And what God wants for me is not just to make us happy in this life. He says he wants us mature, complete, not lacking in anything. He wants to make us holy, right? He wants us to be a reflection of him. And we have the most perfect reflection on earth that ever was as Jesus Christ. He was the perfect reflection of God on this earth. And so we should be striving to become, be a reflection of Jesus Christ in our life. If, and it's the trials, the sufferings that make us more like Christ. Have you ever thought about that as the goal of your life? Like, really, like this is the goal of my life as a believer, to strive to be a reflection of Christ. Like, that's it. Whatever God does with me, how he creates me and shapes me and molds me, whether he gives, whatever gifts he gives me with a, with a voice to sing or to preach or to teach or to go out and share the gospel, evangelize or to serve, whatever fruits come from that belief are great. That's all God glorifying. But the overall goal is to reflect Christ in our life. And so if that is our, think about it, if that's our goal to be a reflection of Christ and James teaches that in order that to get that reflection is to allow God to refine us and to test us and to try us, then how could we not have an overwhelming joy when we realize that we're in those testings? Like if I'm in this testing and God's given me the wisdom to recognize it, that's difficult, that's hard. I am in a testing, and I can, I'm 100% sure this is from God, and i got to persevere, whatever, do whatever it takes to get through this test and stay faithful to the holy God of the universe. And outside, he's making me more and more like him. Like That produces that pure joy. That's a joy that's only given from God himself in our lives. And that will not be easy. We see that in Jesus' ministry, in Jesus' life, his death, his great, Jesus' greatest test on this earth was the cross. Think back at the Garden of Gethsemane when he was praying, drops of blood, asking God to take this from him. 
before. It was such a fierce test, but he said, not my will, but your will. He, he went through the test. He went through the suffering. Nothing about the cross was easy. And then Jesus turns around and tells us to take up our cross daily and follow him. So we're to take up that same cross every single day. That will not be an easy task. Never. But we only bear the cross for a little while. That's the beauty in it. We only bear this cross for a little while. And verse 12 says, we shall wear the crown of life. And we're going to wear that crown of life to eternity. Eternity, forever, like forever, ever. Like eternity, because we wore this crown of life and we were only given that crown of life because we persevered through these tests and God made us whole and complete to reflect him. <laughs> All right. Um, what time is, oh my goodness. What time is, do you have the time? 11.30, can we end, can we end that soon? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I think that's perfect. I mean, we talked to Bobby. He told me. I love James because James just preaches himself. Um, I was kind of fearful to keep going from 13 through 18 because I was like, there's no way I can cover that much ground in that amount of time. But we should. We'll just, can I keep going? Can we keep going? No, I think we'll close this thought. I'll let Matt kind of come in behind me and kind of take whatever his mind's working out through the rest of the text. Um, and I think this is going to leave plenty of time for us to have a response, have an invitation. Um, let it be pure. Let it be holy. Let, it let this word challenge us. Um, if we need to sing eight more songs to fill some time, what it, like, we don't need to rush out of the doors, but whatever. <laughs> We're going to move into a time of invitation. Um, like the altar is open. Um, I never really understood what that meant, like, growing up. We don't see the altar being used um, very often. I'm not going to push everybody. Like, I was, I was like, how, how dare someone stand here and, like, beg people to come to the altar? That's not what it is. But learning what the altar is, it's literally supposed to be sitting at the feet of Jesus. And so when we, we have the, even in my own life, whenever we come to a time of invitation or if I'm even praying to God in my own house, Rarely do I get on my knees and pray to God. I've done that a handful of times, and the biggest time was whenever I hit the rock bottom of my life, and I knew nothing else to do but to get on my knees. I was bawling on the floor, crying out to God to help me get out of this junk that I'm in. And it happened. And so, and I don't think about that enough. And so I don't think of every time we have an altar call, I don't think about how we should, I always, I'm the comfort, I sit there and I'm praying wholeheartedly everything right in, my, in the comfort of my seat or standing, like we should be bowing before God um, that is making us reflect Jesus in our lives. We should be broken before him, um, we should be thanking him for the trials, we should be, if we don't have this kind of joy in our lives, we should be asking for it. If we don't have this kind of if we can't, if we're having trouble, if we're good and rock solid, we can't decipher between the temptations and the trials. We need to ask for wisdom. God will give that to us um, as we move into this time of all um, invitation. Just in your hearts, ask God for an abundance. He gives abundantly if you ask. Um, I'll just go ahead and read that verse six that I skipped over. If you're if you're going to ask for this wisdom. You can't doubt. You have to believe that he's going to give it to you. 
Like, if you have any doubt in your heart, it says that we are like a wave in the ocean that's controlled by the wind. You go up and down, up and down. You have no control over your life. That's what it says we're like if we don't believe what we ask for. Don't doubt when you ask for an abundance of wisdom. This wisdom to help you identify your trials in your life. Ask God to identify any imperfections in your life that only he can work out. So if he needs to try you by the fire to make you produce something better in you, if it's, if it's any of the fruits of the Spirit that you read through and you don't have that in your life, I'm not a very patient person. The danger, most dangerous thing you can say is, God, give me patience. He doesn't give you patience. He gives you trials to, produ- to allow you to persevere. Does it, you see how this works out? So when you ask these, believe that you're going to, it's not just going to be freely handed to you. It's going to probably come in the form of a testing or a trial. And so you're going to need people to surround you, surround your life, or people around your life that can identify that if you can't identify it for yourself. So it's so easy. I'm, if you complain about something going on in your life to someone in your circle and they're wise and they're, they're wise and connected to God and they can step back and say, well, listen, you're seeing this wrong. This isn't just pure coincidence. This isn't just random acts of just crap going on all around your life that's causing you to crumble. I'm seeing a testing from God. And that could take your friends, your circle, to call that out in you. Ask God to give you those people when you pray that can call this stuff out and recognize it in you. Um, Allow God to purify you with these trials so that you can look more and more like Jesus in your life. Um, I'm going to end us in prayer, and the altar's open if you want to sing a song. TJ might have to go all four verses on this song, but whatever the Spirit does, let him lead. Um, God, thank you so much for your text. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the simplicity of your word, um, but yet the weight and the, from the challenge from this word to, for us to face these trials head on with pure joy and gladness and cheerfulness while you're trying to work these things out in our life. So God, I ask that you help us, help us recognize these trials when they come Help us discern whether they're from you or from the enemy. Um, Because, God, you don't tempt us. The enemy tempts us. God, when you give us these tests, let us persevere, whatever it takes. Whoever you need to put in our lives to help us persevere, God, we are in this together. So, God, just help us. um, Help us become more and more like you. Um, Help us become a reflection of Jesus Christ in this life that we have on earth. And God, it's all for your glory. It's not for us. It's just for you and your purposes in our life. And that's the beauty in it, God. God, I ask as we move into a time of worship, a time of um, invitation, that you may use your words, use your spirit to pierce the heart of some individual here in this room, uh, work something out in our minds. Uh, help us, God, as we face, uh, face these trials. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.